Grab a cuppa and take a seat. This is the Disability Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome to Disability, a new podcast where we discuss a range of disabilities and what they truly mean. So with this first episode we're going to kick it off with something which is really close to all of us and it's dyslexia. I'm Bethany and also on the podcast is Zoe and Cameron and we're going to sort of start with like what is a definition of dyslexia and then sort of discuss if we agree or not with how it's defined. Yeah um, so the definition that we have here from the Mayo Clinic um, is dyslexia is a learning disorder that involves difficulty reading due to problems identifying speech sounds and learning how they relate to letters and words decoding also called reading disability. Dyslexia affects areas of the brain that process language. Yeah, so that's kind of the short version. I'd say I agree with a lot of that, but then I think there's a lot more to it as well. Like it's quite a short definition of what it truly is. And I think Zoe's kind of mentioned, I think even from like being on our course and discussing it with both of you, how much there is related to dyslexia in like your everyday life that you don't even realize. Yeah, definitely. That's something that I only learned really recently. And I feel like it's so important to identify because I just thought my brain didn't work for like all of my life. <laughs> and then so I was like, no, this is why you can't remember things. So yeah, I think memory was the biggest one for me because I always just thought that, I don't know, I couldn't remember things. <laughs> yeah, my memory is like horrendous. It's so bad. And people are like, do you remember that time? And I'm just like, no. <laughs> Can you tell me more? Yeah. Long-term memory. After past, like, maybe, like, five years or something, it's just all kind of whatever. <laughs> I always get people and they'll tell me, like, embarrassing stories about myself. And I'm there, like, thanks for the memories. Like, oh, great. <laughs> I don't have any of those but now I know that like I said this stupid thing or like did something really silly yeah. oh yeah the remember whens the, oh. remember when you said that and it was like no <laughs> and I'm like oh gosh what did I say did I say that <laughs> asking my brother to help me find a job because he like he's a youtuber so he knows loads of youtubers and that everyone's making podcasts now get a job as an editor he was like oh well last time I did it for you you like yelled at me and said you didn't want it and I was like I do not remember this at all and now I hate past me for doing (laughs) (laughs) so yeah memory I feel like that's the one that's got me also for me it's like when you have to try and pronounce certain things so like when we were on our course and we had to pronounce certain names or like places or whatever the stress I would feel in trying to say it right and then most of the time I would end up saying it wrong because I would stress so much over that like tiny word or something and I would then like get really nervous and just trip all over my words and I don't think people like appreciate that it's really difficult to sort of see that and understand what it's almost like meant to sound like because things almost sound different in your brain I think. Mm. Oh yeah reading things you think it sounds one way for the longest time and then you actually say it out loud and someone's like um what 
<laughs> I had a case where um, I was reading this book about like myths and there was like Poseidon, right? The king of the sea, all of that. And for the longest time, I thought it was Poseidon. I'm like, yeah, Poseidon. Yeah, I'm in fifth grade. Sure. Um, <laughs> and then I said it out loud and they're like, who? And it was like the longest time I'm like, Poseidon. And they're like, no, Poseidon. And it is just because you kind of like autocorrect in your brain of like, yeah, that's that kind of is what other things sound like. Let's let's kind of like meet in the middle there. And I think with the end of that definition, language mm-hmm. is huge because I, um, I have such a problem with like foreign language and trying to learn that and trying to get that to connect. I don't know if you guys have that as well. Yeah, foreign language does not work for me. I know how to order a beer in four different languages. <laughs> And that is literally it. Like, I've tried so hard when I was a kid. I did, like, 11 years of languages. I don't remember anything. <laughs> Except for how to order a beer in four different <laughs> So that's fine. I mean, do you need more than that, really? <laughs> Not really. You can always get by as long as you have that. <laughs> I find with languages, it's often, like, speaking the language. Like, I can almost like ironically I can read it and I can sort of sometimes write it but when you have to speak it I think you just I'm really hesitant with how I sort of come across and then the people obviously because you're trying to communicate they're like what and like they don't get that you're trying really hard and it's not necessarily coming out in the right way maybe that's like a big part of dyslexia is like being able to recall information on the spot because I remember in my DSA they wrote um that teachers weren't allowed to ask me a question on the spot for my undergraduate it was like they weren't allowed and I remember one class where she did ask me something on the spot and it was something like it was my intro to Judaism class it was like what is Shabbat and I know this and I was literally just there like uh, mm, uh, I, I, was, I don't know uh, something uh, communion who knows <laughs> just like saying random words and then she sent me an email that was like I'm so sorry I just read your disability form and I was like yeah I feel like an idiot <laughs> yeah so I think that happens with languages as well like what you were saying about being able to read it is interesting because I can kind of read French like a bit mm-hmm. I think that's also because I can kind of read Latin a bit. My school was very ponty. Um, <laughs> and, but yeah, I can't, I can't recall it at all, which is like, it's really annoying because I'd love to be good at languages. Same. I think it just takes 10 times longer because it's mm. like, I'm still trying to figure out English half the time. And, you know, <laughs> autocorrect on phones is the best thing ever because it's like, oh, yes, that's the word I'm trying to mean. Um, it's bad when they don't know on autocorrect. <laughs> it's like, what are you trying to spell? Like, I don't even know, man. I feel like that dotted red line yeah. is like half of my life. It's just the dotted red line. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I mean, dyslexia is one thing, but then if you go into like dyspraxia, is that under the same scope of dyslexia or is that a completely different branch? Of- I think they're quite similar, really, because I have both. I think do you have both as well, Cameron? I th- I've never been tested for dyspraxia, but I think I probably, I can't dance for shit. So, so I mean. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm dyspraxic too. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> They're like, yeah, so you can't remember anything and you have terrible coordination. Good luck having fun in life. And you're just like, oh. 
<laughs> I always say to people like there's an actual reason I'm really clumsy like the clumsiest person you've ever met and it's because of my dyspraxia like I'm not just clumsy this is why <laughs> I have EDS as well which also makes you very clumsy oh, yes. just, people are always like Zoe why have you got so many bruises on your leg like are you okay and I'm like yeah I'm just very like, disabled. <laughs> I just went to the shops like <laughs> you know when I because I went to Vietnam to teach English for a while when I when I got back um I came to visit my friends as a surprise and they tripped over something and my friend just looked at me in the eyes and very lovingly said so I, I miss how clumsy you are and I'm just like <laughs> dead oh my gosh when I was auditioning for drama schools, there was one school where they made you uh, dance. So there was like a three-part thing. There was like singing, dancing, and then you had to recite a monologue. And the dancing part was like, it was a two-hour workshop and you learn a dance. And then by the end, you're supposed to perform the dance. And it was the most embarrassing thing I think has ever happened. Like when they were down, I was up. When they went to the left, I ran into the girl to the right. And it was just like, it was that short-term memory as well as putting to dance. And I'm like in awe of dancers being able to do that so quickly. Cause wow. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if you guys have heard of stage coach. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I did stage coach when I was a kid and I cannot dance. <laughs> it was like all of these shows where, which they put on and they'd always be like, Zoe, you know what? You're quite tall. Why don't you go all the way to the back? And sit on the floor behind everybody else. And I'm just like... <laughs> but it was also singing. And I can't sing. So I don't know what I was doing there. <laughs> I did um, ballet and tap when I was younger. And my, I just remember my mum always saying that I was always half a beat behind everyone else. So now whenever I dance, I always make sure that I'm like a beat ahead. Because I know I'll be on time. And that's how I like counteract it. <laughs> But yeah, dancing is difficult, really tough. I found a symptom list for dyspraxia. Mm. Apparently abnormal posture, which maybe. <laughs> I sit like a 98-year-old man, so I can believe that. <laughs> Balance and movement issues. I mean, yes. Poor hand-eye coordination. Oh, Zoe, this is interesting. Fatigue. Mm. We were talking about this just a bit before. Yeah. Trouble learning new skills, organization and planning problems. Oh, difficulty writing or using a keyboard. I don't have that one. At school, we had this really cool thing where you obviously had your keyboard and it was like a game and you had to like get yeah. the words as they came down. <laughs> I had one which was like farmyard animals and like you made them do little dances oh when God. you were like typing your letters out it was Ooh. great no I've always loved keyboards keyboards are like my best friend because I can see all of the letters and all the letters are big exactly. and they stay in the same place so it's like once you've used one a thousand times then you can remember and your life is great <laughs> <laughs> well it's like well with our um law exam I wouldn't there would be no way I would be able to write out all of that stuff in what three hours mm. no way I don't know how anyone like even you know people who don't have dyslexia I'm amazed I think it's insane they still make people write in exams it's literally like 
I don't know if 20 years ago they were making people write with papyrus or something like <laughs> it's pointless cuneiform <laughs> <laughs> like you have to etch it into a block of stone you have 30 minutes gosh <laughs> What, what are the symptoms of dyslexia, um, Bethany? Because it would be interesting if a lot of these kind of converge over because the fatigue is interesting and, in, you know, general organization. <laughs> yeah, organization really gets me. I won't show you guys my room, but <laughs> believe me. Ironically, I find I have to be extremely organized. Otherwise, my life just is not good. Like, I have to over-prepare my organization. I think it often links with my anxiety as well, but I love a plan. Mm, so this whole time in lockdown and stuff has been so difficult because you can't like control any of that or like have those plans and things like that. So that's quite tough. Mm. I feel like when I need to remember something and like I know, especially like phone calls with people, because I always forget, I have to set an alarm on my phone and that is the only way I will remember the amount of like, phone calls that I've forgotten about has been really bad so it's like for this I had an alarm <laughs> yeah. um, but no I think organization definitely definitely is a symptom for me because I I can't organize myself at all I think also because I find myself so easily distracted even if I try and organize it's like five minutes in I'm just doing something else or like wandering off and being strange <laughs> yeah I guess everybody like it's it's not like everybody has every single symptom of everything it's like a spectrum yeah I think that's yeah. why it's so interesting to speak about it as well because you might be like oh we've got this in common but then you've also got your differences as well so then you realize like the scope of what it really is and how it really does affect people in different ways mm. I found on the NHS, it's quite interesting, they break it down into different age groups to like how dyslexia affects people. So like it says preschool children and then it says delayed speech development compared with other children of the same age and then speech problems such as not being able to pronounce long words and jumbling up phrases, um, problems expressing themselves using spoken language being unable to remember the right word to use or putting sentences together incorrectly and then little understanding or appreciation of rhyming words and they give an example as the cat sat on the mat and then a difficulty with le or a little interest in learning letters of the alphabet hmm. and then it goes up to children aged 5 to 12 and it says again about the problems learning the names and sounds of letters spelling that's unpredictable <laughs> yes <laughs> putting letters and figures around the wrong way such as writing six instead of nine or b instead of d yeah reading slowly or making errors when reading aloud and then this is where the visual disturbances often like creep in as well so children might describe letters and words as moving around or seeming blurred. And then also about answering questions orally as well. Poor hand, oh my God, poor handwriting. I don't know about you, but my handwriting is so embarrassing to me. And like people have commented on it in the past. And I'm just like, at school, I wasn't allowed to use a pen, in, I think, until like year six. Because you had to use the pencil because you couldn't like join things up correctly and like it wasn't neat enough and it's literally traumatized me for life honestly I got bullied because 
I wasn't because you had to get your pen license. What? I, what? Yeah, <laughs> stupid. You had to get your pen license for school, and you got a certificate. And I was the only person in my school who never got their pen license. Like when I went into year seven, you had to use pens, mm-hmm. so I could use a pen then. But everyone in my class had pens. I was literally sat there with like my HB pencil, just like, oh my god. And it is actually like traumatizing i think about that a lot like it was humiliating because you're just there like why can't i do something like everybody else and it was actually before i'd been diagnosed with dyslexia because it's so misdiagnosed so much of the time and then they were just like at the end of it all i think they were like i think this kid might have dyslexia yeah (laughs) but no like we were talking about long-term memory i can't even remember what i was like when I was a little kid but definitely I do remember the pencil thing because I yeah. but when I got my dyslexia lessons what you were saying about handwriting is really interesting because if I write fast illegible com- completely <laughs> illegible like it doesn't say anything at all but when I write slowly I actually have really nice handwriting and I was talking to my dyslexic tutor and she said like that is actually quite common with dyslexic people like usually the handwriting is bad but it's quite common because you're overcompensating with your writing so mm-hmm. I write very slowly and very neatly and stuff like that and like I try so hard when I'm writing which is just like why when I'm in class I never have enough notes <laughs> it's just like but yeah I thought that was really interesting and she said one of the main ones is people doing A's with like, you know, and the A has a little bit on top, the little like swirly yeah. thing. She said that that's really common for dyslexic people to do. And I was like, that's so interesting because it's mad. You wouldn't think of that. But yeah, apparently overcompensating with handwriting is a thing, which I do. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I had the same thing, but with the, the B's and D's for the longest time, it was, um, what was it? bog instead of dog and all those <laughs> other things and yeah I was I was bullied so much for handwriting and it was it wasn't cool because it's like now it's like it's definitely gotten better with age but the same thing when you write neatly it looks neatly written and all that stuff but when you're writing notes in class even when I go back to look at them I'm like what the hell <laughs> was I talking about like and I think that's interesting to see like how maybe our brains work faster or is this this thing of like trying to um, overcompensate like you were saying on language and but I I was in the same boat where I wasn't meeting standards we didn't have a pen license unfortunately I just don't think people (laughs) I just don't think people use pens I think we're just like let's stick to pencils um (laughs) (laughs) let's keep it there um but yeah I wasn't meeting certain kind of like cursive check marks because we we were taught cursive and I hated cursive but yeah definitely I think the writing is kind of a universal for most kind of dyslexics yeah I think what you're saying about cursive as well is so true because when you're already struggling to learn what letters look like then them being like write these letters in a completely different way you're just like I didn't know what the letter looked like in the first place (laughs) and now I'm just more confused But, but no, I like it's actually really sad that you know we've been bullied for this, and that's like mm. I don't know, so deep. But I definitely think that it has like affected me in weird ways. Like I, I always try and expand my vocabulary loads 
because I want loads of clever words so that I can say them and then people will be like oh she's not an idiot like everyone yeah. thought I was when I was a kid <laughs> which is just yeah I guess it's really strange I feel like it's kind of my first memory of my dyslexia in a way is the whole handwriting issue because like how you say you're really singled out and you're really made to feel not the same as other people and that you're like different in a bad way and you're kind of in a different category and like how you were saying about diagnosis I wasn't diagnosed until I was in my first year of college so I was 16 17 so I did all of my GCSEs without any support and I honestly look back and I don't know how I did it like I don't know how I got to that point and it wasn't until I went to uni the first time I realized what kind of support you can get because it's just not really available to you until that point like when I was at college I got extra time in exams and I was able to use a computer which like you say is a massive difference because it's not even the fact that you're able to type it it's like the way my brain works and I don't know if it's the same for you but when you write something out and then you're like oh actually I often write things back to front so then I swap it around or I move like a paragraph up here or up there So like having the opportunity to do that and kind of, I don't know, allowing yourself to have that bit of extra time as well is really like a valuable thing to have. But I think uni's definitely taught me like really valuable skills, which I can sort of use to sort of help with my dyslexia and how I like manage certain situations and stuff as well. Yeah, I I think... See, because I got diagnosed when I was 14 as well. So it was like first year of high school. And they're like, okay, something's up. Like you're not, again, meeting these criteria. You're struggling with um, languages and a little bit with math. But yeah, and then coming to uni, it was interesting because one university was like, oh, okay, cool. You're dyslexic. We got paperwork. And then um, another university where I did most of my undergrad, they're like, you're not dyslexic enough. Like, they didn't accept my diagnosis from my, um, like, high school. And they came in, they're like, no, like, we did this own test. Our own test says you're not dyslexic enough. And I'm like, yeah, but putting shapes together doesn't mean that, um, you know, the same as, like, not knowing language. And I feel like the kind of screening for dyslexia is so um, f- finite, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's it's not as broad as it should be because, like, dyspraxia could affect things as well. And that you're not being tested for that. And then going into the masters with goldsmiths they were like oh cool like even the forms from high school were okay so it's interesting how different universities take this and and what you're offering or what they offer even definitely because I remember for my obviously this is before uni but for my a levels because I think before I kind of been loosely diagnosed Mm -hmm. so I actually had to do my GCSEs with pen and pencil then for my A-levels, they were like, you need like the full thing. You need all these reports. And we had to spend all this money on it. It was mad. They didn't have like an option. You could get it done for free, but it was like you had to wait six months or something mad like that. So it was like, we've got to just get this. Yeah, we just got to get this done now. And then, yeah, my both of my universities accepted it, which was really good. But it is really stressful. And I hate having to go and prove yourself to somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be like, no, actually, I am disabled. Please be nice to me about it. <laughs> well, it's like, who are, who are they to say who's disabled or not disabled? Like, it's obviously you can tell I'm, we're coming to you wanting help. And it's not like everyone everyone wants an extension or whatever. It's, you know, it's uncomfortable. No one does it just to, like, get a free pass or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting to see, too, like, socioeconomically, how many people are not 
diagnose because um, I went all through kind of, so it's a little bit different in the States. Public school is, um, is uh, free. And I went all that way, not really knowing that if I was diagnosed and I went to a private school and they immediately saw it and saw the cues and, and did all these tests. So it's, it's interesting to see how many people have gone diagnosed by certain ways of education. And it's sad really, because you could be having that same thought of like, okay, there's something wrong with me, but I don't know what it is. And people that I look up to, teachers, advisors, are just putting me in this other category and they're not really addressing it or even looking at me. I'm just a number and that's sad. Yeah, I found um, when I was at secondary school as well, often, for ironically English was always my strongest subject but I think that's partly because when I was really little like my mum and my dad and my grandparents read with me constantly and really like got my skills up to a good standard and I think without that I would have really struggled but for like maths and science I was always in the bottom set and I think it's because they just didn't understand that they obviously didn't diagnose my dyslexia but they didn't understand that people learn in different ways And I think schools just teach in such a rigid sort of, you must learn like this because that's the way we've always taught and everything. And I got a maths tutor and she just showed me things in a slightly different way and I understood them. And I'm just like, if they could do that for like all children, the education system would be so much better and so much more accepting and not just making you think that you're really stupid because you're in the bottom set and all your friends are in top set the way they put in those kind of divides from the off I think that's where your self self doubt comes in mm-hmm. and things like that and sort of like the confidence side of dyslexia as well because I often sort of I've always lacked confidence and I found it really difficult especially in terms of like education to be like no I am actually really clever at what I do know and like almost take pride in the fact that you're clever in that instance because you're like but am I though because of my dyslexia it's like a really like a constant kind of battle between like what is acceptable to think and what kind of you automatically think in a sense I think I've always tried to well not always (laughs) that's such a lie recently whilst trying to make myself feel better about my dyslexia I think about the times that I've done just as well as someone who doesn't have dyslexia Mm. because then you're like So I'm actually awesome because I have a learning disability and I managed to push myself to the point where I did as well as this person who doesn't have it, which I think is like a nice thing to remind yourself of. You're like, you're pretty smart. Yeah. And then finding things like you enjoy after education. I think I'm not saying I'm doing math problems, but (laughs) I'm saying that like I'm learning different ways of like how math is used in life and how actually really interesting it is and if we if you know we were just taught it a different way or taught it in a way that wasn't just for the general population to understand it would be interesting to see how many people would find enjoyment in those things and I think that's how the education system really struggles and how much you can find joy after education and prove to yourself time and time again you're not stupid it, it, it's not a, a thing of who's smart and who's not. It's how do you learn this? How do you teach learning for you? How do you mold it into a way that makes you comprehend it? And there's nothing wrong with that. So my um, my nephew's dad, 
was telling me the other day i don't know if see this is the thing i i wasn't sure if this actually is a step in a good direction or it's like i don't know kind of more undermining but he was telling me that um the way they do reading groups now is you do it by your level of reading ability so like if you're in year one and you're as good as reading as someone in year two they put you in the group with that those people so it's all to do with like levels which I thought was really interesting but then I'm not sure because it would be difficult to be the eldest child in the group is what Mm -hmm. I was thinking yeah and you compare yeah it was like that comparison of like well you know my best friends in level three I'm in level one but I think it sucks because that's kind of just education as a whole you put all these kids in a a room and it's like survival of the fittest you know (laughs) I guess the good part about it would be that they would be able to teach that child at the speed that they need True. to. Because I don't, I don't like reading books, which is sad because I feel like everybody seems to really enjoy reading books, but <laughs> I hate it because I get so frustrated and I have all of these memories from times in my life where I, they've told me I have to read something. You have to read this in a week and you're like oh. on page 10 and you've tried so hard and everyone else in your class they're like oh this is the analysis of this like I remember obviously this is a recent more recent memory but for my first year of undergrad we had to read a short book a week for our great religious texts <laughs> module yeah I know and it was just like a lot of very boring old books and I just like I couldn't do it because I found it so frustrating and I think part of that is just like the memory of trying to read like the crucible when I was not high enough like reading skill to read the crucible and then like my teachers having a go at me and I'm just like or or reading like we had to do like Othello in school and stuff like that Mm. for a dyslexic person it is hard to read Shakespeare like I love me a bit of Shakespeare but it's very hard to read so I remember my teacher like having a go at me being like, why haven't you read the book? Everyone else has read the book. And I'm just there being like, because I can't. <laughs> but it's so embarrassing to say that I feel like I just let I just let it slide and was like, it's okay if the teacher just thinks I'm bad at this. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to like say anything about it. So I think it's all to do with just like shame and awkwardness and all of that that kind of comes hand in hand with these sorts of things. So we shouldn't feel, obviously, but it does happen. I think that's why it's good to talk about it because then you can sort of say about the things you felt shame from and like difficult things you've gone through that people may not even realise has been a really difficult situation for you at that point. So I think it's good to try and be as open as you can. Although I say that and at the same time I'm a bit like I don't like to share things like that because I think often I just like struggle and I try to like get on with it as best I can. But kind of what you were saying earlier as well about like the amount of effort you have to put into everything. Like I remember when I was doing my GCSEs, my bedroom, like every wall was covered in like A3 posters of like information. And I was like, if I look at it enough, like every day, then hopefully some of it will just go into my brain and I'll like somehow remember it because honestly I couldn't contain the information and all my friends were just like oh this is so easy and I was just like it's really not but on the flip side I think when you then do achieve things in particular like academically you do think well I've put so much effort into this and you almost take more like pride from the fact that you've actually done it and you've accomplished what you have 
hundred <laughs> percent. The biggest thing for me was reading out loud and oh then, and then enjoying it later in life where, you know, doing, you know, voiceovers in, in class and, and reading out things out loud is like, wow. If I, if I told that to six year old Cameron, it would be like, you're joking. <laughs> We're not going to do that. That's funny. Um, and it sucks because I think a lot of dyslexia is, you know, we're all talking about this confidence and us being kind of like pushed down and taught that, you know, you're, you're different. You're not like everyone else. Um, you're behind. And I think that constant thing with education in me is I'm automatically stupid until I prove to someone else that I'm not. Like, I'm at this bar. Um, there's no way I can, you know, be above this bar. And even when you know, good things happen or rewards or, you know, accomplishments. It's still like a, yeah, but people are just doing this and doing this. I have to, you know, work 10 times harder to be able to even be recognized. And I think that's the biggest takeaway I kind of got from education is, you know, really looking and seeing, okay, is, is it because I'm stupid? I know I'm not stupid, but putting that into like a workplace environment, I think, I don't know how that will work out. I totally get what you mean. Like, I really enjoy reading out loud, but only plays and poems. I love reading plays so much because they're so easy to read. Yeah. And you're just like, fine, you know, it's one line, it's two lines. There's never that much. And they're always really spaced apart. But as soon as someone gives me a paragraph, oh God. like if I am given a paragraph to read, I always read the same line over and over again. Yeah. Or I'll just get like completely completely lost I remember we were in our script writing class and we did that and I read out this like part one of the characters in the play like we kind of always did and then afterwards we were doing some sort of memorial ceremony oh yeah (laughs) yeah something like that we went and dedicated one of the recording rooms to uh, this lady I can't remember who she was and um Tim was like oh Zoe would you like to read this out and I was like yeah I've had a great day reading things out and then just passes me a paragraph (laughs) a look on my face I think I had to ask somebody else to read the second half because I think I just kept on getting stuck but yeah I think it was you and me so they're like let's let's make the two dyslexics here go read (laughs) it was like oh no (laughs) God, it was like maybe 11.5. It was single spaced and it it was a mess. This was a question I was going to ask you guys. Um, Do you guys find that certain fonts are easier? Obviously spaced out is preferred, but um, there was that thing that I got in the student union and it was like pink paper and it was supposed to be good for dyslexics. So I'm wondering fonts and paper, what's your preference? I'm a dedicated, hardcore Times New Roman fan. Okay. Oh, no. I always use Times New Roman. I have my entire life. Other than when I write poetry, then I use Baskerville because it looks fancier. But I don't know why. I think maybe I'm just indoctrinated in my love of <laughs> Times New Roman. <laughs> it's always Times New Roman, size 12, two points you know, like spaces between the lines. I don't even know if that's the easiest one to read. I feel like Calibri or something is probably like the easiest one for dyslexic people, but I've spent a lot of my life using Times New Roman. I learned at uni the first time that there are like specific fonts for dyslexic people. So 
there's this thing here and it says use sans I can never say this serif is that how you say it fonts so basically like Arial comic sans which I hate comic sans comic sans I I find myself often drawn to Arial to be honest it says veranda and century gothic as well I got given like yellow overlays when I did my undergrad to help me with my reading and they really did help so much so that I went to an optician's and they did like special um like color testing for my reading I, I can't remember there's like oh. a specific term and only certain opticians do it as well so you kind of have to search where to go and basically they discovered I can show you actually that I should use like purple lenses um I've got like the purple glasses and like I can read like the words don't move and it's amazing like I think this must just be what it's like for people to read and (laughs) I need to get myself some purple yeah I don't think it works for everyone but it's really worked for me and it's honestly life-changing and I find it really odd that I have purple ones as well because purple is my favorite color and I kind of (laughs) think it's like psychological that maybe I'm drawn to it because it's like a calming color for me and I don't know and then that associated with my reading and it just kind of works but One thing that I find really difficult, and I was speaking to someone about this the other day, is just wearing those glasses is a major deal for me. Like, say going into a studio and like putting them on and just reading, like, I'd feel like I was really standing out and that I'm really different and things like that. So I find that I can often wear them if I'm like by myself or things like that. But then if I'm like in a studio with other people or like sort of like in a meeting or something and I want to read something I'd feel really self-conscious just being like oh let me put on my special purple glasses because they'd just be like is that a fashion feature and I'd be like no <laughs> you should be like yes yeah. <laughs> of course this is my aesthetic wow, they're like, cute yeah, yeah it's a cool it's a cool aesthetic you know I think they look good and like also I'm very much of the belief that if anyone's gonna judge you for something that's not someone who's worth any of your time so it's just like I don't really care about that but it is I understand it's all a bit like because you're literally being like I'm dyslexic (laughs) (laughs) my dyslexia it's on my face now (laughs) over your head like this girl is dyslexic (laughs) my giant light glasses because of my headaches and whenever I put them on I was like yes I get headaches (laughs) do you have like any other sort of coping sort of mechanisms that you've put into place sort of over the years or you've kind of learned about yourself I I don't know if it's so much dyslexia but when I want to read a book it has to be kind of at night and in my room it's really hard for me to read in public um like a novel or something like that because it's I don't know I get distracted very easily and I do the thing where I reread the same paragraph over and over and I it still doesn't click and unless it's like a super good book and I'm like you know I can (laughs) tune out the guy on the tube screaming it (laughs) that's usually fine but I know that if I give myself time and I don't have this anxiety of my stop is next, let me read all of this because I'm a slow reader, like a hundred percent. So if I allow myself the time to read, I really enjoy it more. So I think that's something where, yeah, giving myself time. No, I, I, the, what you were saying about absorbing the information, that is something I struggle with so much. Like I have to read something over and over or I have to make notes on it. 
Mm. Or it's just like, or read it out loud as well. Because I just feel like my brain is like, look at all the words. And then afterwards, <laughs> I'm like, what did it say? <laughs> this is like throwing words on a page. Like, it has no meaning. <laughs> and like, yeah, in my undergrad, I had to read a lot of philosophy. So that's like, not obviously not an easy thing to absorb. But yeah, I think as well, what you were saying about time pressure doesn't help. Yeah. Because I feel like my anxiety makes my dyslexia worse. I don't know if you get <laughs> yes. this. When yeah. I'm anxious or when I'm tired, I'm like, mm-hmm. what is this dyslexia that's happening now? Like, I'm just trying to read like the cooking instructions on something. And I'm like, what is happening to me? <laughs> <laughs> Two clubs of what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Clark, but no, I do find that when I get anxious, especially when like I always get overwhelmed. That's something that happens to me a lot, and I think part of that is from dyslexia and dyspraxia. You get really overwhelmed, and um, as soon as I'm overwhelmed, I can't do anything. It literally just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. It's like you need to take that step back and just be like, it's okay. And then sort of try and jump back into it because otherwise you're just like, you kind of get to that point as well where you're a bit like, I can't do this. And then when everyone's like, oh, you can't say the word can't, it's as you can do it. And you're like, no, I really can't do it. And like, you almost know that yourself that you just need to have that breather and then go back to that situation, I think. I mean, is there anything you guys avoid this kind of thing of like this insecurity of like, I I don't really want to do this. This is not in my comfort zone. Like for me, it's um, I have a lot of trouble like learning lines sometimes and like memorizing monologues, which isn't really good. Um, But (laughs) yeah, I think that because it's the stress of kind of having it in the memory and learning them right. So I am trying to get better at that, but it's definitely hard. I think I, I don't know. I think this is to do with dyslexia because I thought about it a lot. I really struggle to write the way that people speak because I think mm. I've spent so much time trying to focus on how to write academically because I needed to learn how to write that it made sense and sounded good. And obviously, like, nobody uses furthermore in real life when they're chatting. So whenever we've had to write, like, um, I remember when... There was that horrible lesson. This was actually horrific. I can't believe this happened when we were at Goldsmiths and um, we, I had to be writing the news script and they literally got at the end of the class every single one of my scripts up and criticised me for it. I literally like almost cry thinking about it because it was just my work and they sat there and they just ripped it apart. And I was like, this is just something I can't do. So when we were writing like our plays... I just couldn't do it. And I was like, I don't know what to do because I know you guys are like big writers and you don't really struggle with that. But it's it's something really affects me. And it was like even writing the court reports and stuff like that. I just I think that's really important, educating teachers about the different parts of dyslexia. Because I was like, I made it clear that I wanted every teacher who taught me to know mm. so that they didn't do this to me. Uh, I, that was humiliating. I think that's the most humiliating thing that's happened to me in a long time in terms of dyslexia, because that was just horrible. I but think yeah. it's that thing of like the public, um, it's good. It's, it's a thing where it's like, oh, we can all learn from this experience, right? That's what teachers do to make it easier to to teach. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, but people 
are at different levels and that doesn't mean that what you were doing was wrong and i think it's it's just insensitive because it's like i don't think they other people would appreciate that as well like their work being criticized to that extent and it's like why don't you have other examples from other people from other courses or other things but having it being so personalized into one person in the class that's in the room yeah. like you know because we've had examples of scripts that were bad but it was from no one in the room it was from mm -hmm. you know public published scripts and i think that's perfect way to explain and show how things may need to be improved but I think it's just ridiculous. I think that's where the like awareness of sort of what people can experience needs to be brought in and like the fact that when you get like a Raza or something like people should actually really read them and understand and kind of I know a few lecturers came up to me individually and they were like is there anything in particular that you feel more sort of like conscious of that you want to share about your learning or whatever and like being able to have conversations like that with people and like I know when I've like had certain more like office based sort of like marketing jobs the people have always been like is there anything we can provide for you is there like any software is there this is there that and just I think having more awareness and kind of an idea of how it can affect people is really important and not singling people out and just making them feel horrendous is also a really like key thing. I think that remembering it he also I think I said that like he shouldn't be doing this to me and then I think he said something like in the real world I hate it when people say that to me they'll be like in the real it's pretty much every time they say in the real world you're not allowed to be dyslexic in yes. some shape or form because I remember one of our lecturers did it to me really early on because I was like I'm struggling with this I need more time he's like well in the real world and I was just like no because in the real world you get hired and they don't freaking fire you two seconds after you make a mistake yeah. and it's like also in the real world you can quit jobs like you know and it seems like I can't leave this classroom because <laughs> you're abusing me and th that's the thing it's kind of I guess able ableistic of the sense of like well it's harder than you think you've been you know you've been groomed here this is easy here um <laughs> wait till you yeah. get out there and I think that's kind of interesting as well do you feel like when you guys apply to jobs should you disclose that you're dyslexic or is that something that you mentioned on the application or do you feel like that leaves you as a disadvantage for getting a job I think it really depends because there have been jobs where I've told them I'm dyslexic, where it's kind of like jobs that are about inclusivity or they've asked you something that's difficult that you had to get over mm. and stuff like that. But usually I just don't say anything because I, I, I don't know. I know I shouldn't be embarrassed by it, but there will always be this core part of me that's like, don't tell anyone. Because yeah. I also, I have a big thing. I don't like people feeling sorry for me. Yeah. and I worry about that so much I'm like don't feel sorry for me please I don't enjoy it so yeah it's just all come I feel like it all comes down for me to this base anxiety that surrounds sharing it with people and I think that it's like what I was saying before the whole in the real world thing it's like this difference between invisible illnesses and seen illnesses like if you were I don't know, had to get down to the newsroom and you were in a wheelchair, they would find a way to get you down there and help you get to a desk and help you get to your work, which is amazing. But if you have a, a, like an invisible illness or like a learning disability, 
I feel like it's a lot less like we're going to do as much as possible to help you because they're like you don't really look sick so <laughs> you know it's fine like it doesn't look like there's anything wrong with you and I think it just needs to be taken way more into consideration it's just sad isn't it <laughs> yeah I found as well with previous jobs that when I've sort of disclosed certain things and they're like, oh, we'll support you the best we can. And then they don't actually deliver on what they've sort of agreed to. And you're a bit like, oh, okay. But I found with applications, I often do mention my dyslexia because now often on forms, there's always like, do you have a disability under the Disability Act 2010 or whatever it is? So I always make sure that I say yes. But I kind of like phrase it as, I find my dyslexia makes me often think outside of the box and I think dyslexic people view things in a very different way so like we're really good at bringing ideas and new perspectives and things so I try to like twist it in that regard um (laughs) but it's kind of I do feel like ashamed of it and I don't think we should feel like that I think it's kind of like what society is sort of like telling us like any kind of disability like there is shame with it and it shouldn't be like that and it is kind of very much like other people who maybe don't understand it or appreciate it kind of put you in that situation yeah and I feel like shame with shame comes inconvenience and I think that's the problem is the inconvenience of getting proper equipment of education of um awareness and I think it's it's sad because it's like yeah, we can disclose it. Yeah, we can we can share it. But if the other half isn't learning and the other half isn't aware and taking it seriously, I think it's the thing because I've been known to, I mean, you can't hide it, but I've been known to kind of, you said, think outside the box, skirt around mm-hmm. five different steps to be able to make it to the end. Like you were saying also about dancing, you know, make sure you're one <laughs> beat ahead. And that's the thing, but it's like, should we be trying that hard to hide it to seem normal to employers to teachers or is it something that we should just kind of embrace and embrace whatever comes with that I'm I'm still kind of at a loss of what that would look like yeah that's so true because you shouldn't really like feel the need to hide it and you should like almost be proud of it because it makes you you and like we'll never know what it's like to not have it. Mm. And to me, it's just always been normal. But sometimes I'm like, it's actually really not normal. But is that a bad thing? I don't know. Like, do you guys, I don't know. I kind of get this. And it's not that bad. But it's like, sometimes I kind of mourn for the brain I wish I had, which is like this brain that isn't dyslexic or dyspraxic, a brain that doesn't have epilepsy, a brain that doesn't have to take medication all the time to keep it okay or like depression and anxiety all these different things I wish I just had a different brain and then I could see what it's like to live like I don't know I just want to know what it's like I'm like it'd be amazing just be able to pick up a book and be like this is my day now but I just pick up a book and burst into tears and close the book and then download the audio book this is fine (laughs) I feel like I enjoy things deeper I feel like if I really read a book and I really love the book I remember it for years and years and it's something that really holds dear I think it I'm much more choosy with books because if it doesn't hold my attention for that long then later um (laughs) I think but yeah I would love to see like what what life would be like but also then we wouldn't be us and I feel like 
again, like how cool we can find different issues and solve them many different ways. And I, I think it's just, for me, it's not having so much shame and so much guilt and so much just like self-hatred because of being in education for so long. And I think once we start, you know, being into the workforce full time and no more school, hopefully I was like, <laughs> I wanted to do a PhD like later in life, but now I'm like, I'm, you know what? I think I'm good. Um, but yeah, maybe that more confidence and more successes will kind of counteract mm. those growing pains, but it still, still sucks. Like I don't like feeling stupid because you can't read. It's like, mm -hmm. oh. I th I don't know if this is because this of dyslexia. I think it partially is my whole liking to expand my vocabulary thing. But I mm. love to swear. Oh, oh so it's so tasty! It's like a thing in my mind. It's somehow related. I love to swear, and I cannot stop myself. <laughs> like the I kept on trying to record these videos the other day, so I put on YouTube. But obviously, you cannot swear. Because like these videos are meant to be for everybody, and I was re-watching them, and everyone I swore like twenty times, and just did not even notice. And then I was just like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> like not to swear. Oh, the worst is like around children. Like I'm in the park, and I'm 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 loud. Like I talk from the, the gut. Um, and someone's like, "There's children around." I'm like, "Well, they're gonna learn eventually." I mean, <laughs> it's fine. Oh no, I don't. I don't know. I want to research more kind of like word associations and stuff. So yeah, that was the first episode of our new podcast, Disability, and we're going to be sharing like different stories and experiences of predominantly kind of more hidden illnesses where people may not know like much about them. And our main aim is to sort of bring awareness and like a safe sort of space where you can discuss sort of like everything about what you might have gone through so sort of things we have coming up include someone who has diabetes I think Zoe's going to be talking a bit about her epilepsy and we've got some other interesting ones coming up as well we'll definitely probably have one on anxiety because I think we all have anxiety I feel like maybe it just goes together with dyslexia you kind of have the package of dyslexia dyspraxia and anxiety because that's pretty much me as a person I should just make a sign being like hello this is me nice to meet you like when you have icebreakers just be like yes these are my issues what about you <laughs> it's the but, holy trinity of <laughs> yeah for sure but Make sure to stay tuned and we will be back soon. Bye. Bye. Guys. Bye. <laughs> this is the Disability Podcast.